Welcome back to the 2G1C podcast, the not-so-typical sports podcast where educated guests come to share their opinions. Every Wednesday morning, a new episode will be posted to my Anchor account. The link can be found in my Instagram, 2G1C podcast. You can also find every episode new and old by downloading the Anchor app and searching for 2G1C podcast, all one word. Tonight, we have a great show recapping week two. From the Texans' woes to the surprising Dolphins' start, shout out field. We will also review a select number of games from week three while giving picks for all of them. Last but not least, we will award the second edition of Sunday Superlatives. With us tonight, we have the return of California University of Pennsylvania's pride and joy, Terrell. We also have with us a man that is a ringer in the cornhole boards and the mayor of Morgantown, Listed as number 69 in your scorecards, but number one in your heart, Denny. Follow him on Instagram, Dennis.Linker. Thanks for coming out, guys, and I hope everyone enjoys the show. In transitioning to our week two recap, I'd like to start the audience with a quote from the great John McKay. Kickers are like manure. Kickers are like manure. They're all over the place. Multiple kickers this week struggled and ended up without a job. That being said, Dan Bailey might be a good fantasy pickup. The normally trusty veteran Mason Crosby managed to keep his job, but that is because the Packers have bigger worries. Coming into Sunday, Green Bay's opponents had scored on 50 straight red zone possessions. How big of an impact will the defense's inability to get stops have upon Aaron Rodgers' playoff chances this year? Yeah, I I think it will definitely affect them. I mean, you can't rely on this guy to, you know, carry the team every single game, you know, have these, you know, he had the amazing comeback week one. He, you know, played obviously exceptionally well against a good defense week two. And, you know, last time they were, you know, really good, won the Super Bowl. They had a top 10 ranked defense. They had playmakers out there like Charles Woodson and you know, they could have the defense make plays so it wasn't just solely on the offense to kind of take everything over. And I feel like now they just – they don't have guys like that. Clay Matthews isn't the same that he used to be. He's still a good player, but he's not forcing those fumbles. He's not making those plays. And I just don't see any playmakers back then to really make stops or, or force turnovers on defense. Yeah, I agree with you. There's a lot of change uh, happening in Green Bay right now. Ted Thompson is out, new GM in. They're being a lot more aggressive in free agency. They're willing to spend money. And I, I don't see this year as being their year. I think they're a team in transition right now, and they're looking for playmakers on that defensive side of the ball. Um, I concur with a lot of what Denny here said. Um, Aaron's going to be playing on a bum knee all season. It doesn't look like that thing's going to – that injury's going to linger. It doesn't look like it's going to get any better. Moving forward, he's not going to have enough time to recover. We only have one bye week in the NFL, as you all well know. So I think it's, um, I don't see it so much as having a big impact on their playoff chances. I can't see them missing the playoffs, but to me, that defense is going to hinder them from making a real run at the Super Bowl. So the one question I will uh, give you in response, Terrell, is who do you see winning the division? Is that still, uh, is that still a possibility for the Packers? I think it's a possibility. I mean, I think all their competition lies within Minnesota, and uh, their next game against them is really going to be the deciding factor who's going to win that division. Uh, the only the only thing I will expand on, uh, Dennis had mentioned uh, 
the change in nature of Clay Matthews. And as you could see, he was a major impact on how they managed to tie the game on Sunday, whether it was a questionable call or not. Uh, it did definitely have an impact on the outcome. So uh, things will definitely, things have changed a little bit for the Packers and we'll sort of see, keep an eye on them for the rest of the year to see how it goes. Transitioning to a team with, uh, additional woes on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, the Seahawks have not scored on an opening drive in 31 straight games. Most teams look best on their first drives because the plays are scripted. What would you guys highlight as the reasons for that? I think there's a combination of things that contribute to their opening drive woes. Um, beginning with their offensive coordinators. They've gone from Daryl Bevel to Brian Schottenheimer. Um, I didn't think that they could get any worse than Daryl Bevel, but they've found a way. Uh, Schottenheimer is not the West Coast guy that Daryl Bevel was. So Russ has got to hold on to the ball a lot longer, but neither of these guys have any uh, imagination, really. I mean, and compounded with their offensive line woes that are well-known over the past five years, and the fact that Russ plays better outside of the pocket than he does on a script. The best plays that Russell Wilson makes are outside of the pocket, Keeping the ball down the field, making guys miss, and that's not really that doesn't really fall in line with a scripted first ten plays. Yeah, and I think I, I think the O line is just it's just been bad. I mean, it's been well known how bad they've been for years now, and they just can't seem to get anybody better. And then um, you know, watching that game last night, I mean, Booger McFarland made a great point as he said that he felt like he was just watching you know a, a Turkey Day Thanksgiving football game where. There's no, there's no set plays. There's no plan. It's just, you know, snap the ball to Russell Wilson and then have him run around and make something happen. And, you know, the Bears were smart enough to, you know, have people set the edge and kind of contain him, and he wasn't to do any sort of playmaking skill, and it really limits their offense when he's not able to kind of extend the play and, and you know, make something happen down the field. You both highlighted the – Offensive line issues they are having. Jermaine Effetti needs to go. There is no solution for him. He has now been dominated by, granted, two of the premier edge rushers in the game. But if you see another one, he's going to do the exact same thing. He's oversetting in his pass uh, blocking, and it's really affecting his game because any intelligent edge rusher is going to know to cross his face as soon as he overstrides. In my personal opinion... Another big effect upon that is, as as Terrell had stated, Russ is best when he can improvise. And you saw that a little bit in the fourth quarter when he was able to drop that dime to lock it in, in the corner of the end zone. It was uh, on a little bit of a botched play. So we'll see if they can't manage to stop that streak because when I had heard it initially, I was relatively taken back. What seems to be compounding these offensive woes is Brian Schottenheimer's system that he's running. Daryl Bevel at least had Russ get the ball out quickly. He was taking three, maybe five-step drops. Now, Schottenheimer's system is predicated on driving the ball down the field, but in a traditional five- to seven-step drop range, and it's not... I mean, he is running his players through his system, not his system through his players, which is never a recipe for winning football games. Yeah, and if you need to... Uh, attack downfield the band of wide receivers and tight ends that 
Seattle has currently is not going to get the job done, to say the least. Uh, they could have potentially traded for the guy that ended up now on the Patriots, which uh, will transition us to our next question. Uh, could the addition of Josh Gordon to the Patriots have a similar impact to what Randy Moss did in 2007? I think it definitely has a chance to. Um, I mean, with Josh Gordon, it's it's always not so much about his physical body, but I guess his his mental awareness <laughs> and his, his his mental mind state, his, his well being, his, his, his overall well being. You know, but when you get those two together and clicking, I mean, this guy he's only twenty seven. I mean, he's he's an athletic freak. He's an incredible receiver. He posted one of the best four-game stretches in NFL history in his last, the last time he played an actual full season before all of his issues. This guy had 774 yards, five touchdowns, and two 200-yard games through four games. I mean, when the guy is, is right and everything's good in his life and he's clicking, he is an elite talent and he has performed incredibly while playing on the worst team in football over the past few years. So you get him in the Patriots offense where it's much more creative, Josh McDaniel. You obviously have probably one of the best quarterbacks ever, Brady, thrown to him. And I think I think he can make an absolute huge impact for an offense who, who desperately needs some playmakers and some receiver help. Yeah, I agree with Denny. It's – um. It's not a guaranteed thing. It's it's certainly a possibility. Um, the guy hasn't produced at a Randy Moss level since 2013. Now, granted, not many, you can't say that anyone really has produced at a Randy <laughs> Moss level at any time. Save, yeah, save for a few guys. But Gordon happens to be one of them. It's just difficult to project whether or not he will. He's got to prove he can stay on the field and earn Tom's trust. The thing is, Tom Brady is noted as having had guys on the field who he just won't throw to because he does not trust them. And... I think He's, Malcolm. I think Malcolm Mitchell may have partially fallen into that category. Pretty much any receiver they've drafted in the first three rounds over the past fifteen years. <laughs> yeah. Um, Way to go, and, Bill. Yeah. Hey, we all have our gifts. Bill and Ozzy <laughs> drafting receivers. Not not either of them can do it. But he's going to have to go in there and learn one of the most complicated offenses ran in football. It's not going to be. It's not a plug and play deal. That was going to be my exact point was my biggest worry was his ability to actually mentally pick up the offense. Uh, The things that Josh McDaniels and Tom Brady are going to be throwing at him are going to be a lot more complex than what Hugh and Tyrod and the other plethora of Goombas he's had coaching and throwing him the ball. So we will definitely see what type type of impact it does have. Um, if in the scenario it does not have a great impact, has there been a mild torch passing in the NFC? And and if so, if there has been a torch passing, who, who would you guys say it is? Kansas City, Jacksonville? Uh, let me hear what you guys have to think. Absolutely not. There is in no way, shape, or form a torch passing going on. The Patriots have played in 12 AFC championships between 2001 and 2017 including seven in a row, dating back to 2011 till now. And they've won eight of those. Sounds similar to LeBron. Yeah. So, I mean, I think in order for the torch-passing discussion to even begin, the Patriots have to either not make the AFC Championship game or lose in it two years in a row. I mean, they they are given the benefit of the doubt. Um, If it's going to happen for anybody, 
it's it's Jacksonville for me. Um, Kansas City can't play defense. Jacksonville can play defense. Um, trying not to live, be a prisoner of the moment, and be too high on Bortles right now. But the fact that they are able they are able to sign him to a cheap quarterback deal for a veteran is going to be a boon for them in personnel moving forward. So if I think anybody moving forward has a chance to usurp them, it's going to be Jacksonville. But I to me the discussion doesn't even need to be had right now. Yeah, I think Jacksonville has a shot at it. You know, with the with that front seven, their pass rushing ability, the you know they can play man coverage across the board and really lock people down. I mean you. You saw in this most recent game they could double team Gronk and then pretty much just play man coverage or you know whatever else they want to do across the board and you know they they pretty much played outstanding an outstanding game but I mean that's you know that's a ninety seven degree football game in Jacksonville I mean that's come playoff time that's not going to happen and realistically most likely the road to the Super Bowl is going to go through Foxborough so. You know, just like Tom said, until you see them lose, you know, this year and, and maybe next year or the year after that, I mean, it's they're still the class of the AFC. First and foremost, when Tom Brady is still your quarterback, I think you have a shot at winning the AFC every year. Uh, it's sort of the, the LeBron effect. Uh, he He makes your team better than you actually may seem on paper. Uh, as Dennis said, 97 degrees is no joke, especially from the boys up north. Uh, and I do believe I even saw 99 degrees at some point in the game, and that's not including humidity. And in Florida, that's hell. So I can only imagine how it actually felt on the field. If I did have to say there was one team that could potentially take the torch from New England, I would have to agree with them. It's probably Jacksonville. As Terrell stated, Kansas City gave up 37 points to a in-turmoil Steelers team. So I I don't see the torch having been passed. But in the scenario, if it it does end up being passed this year, I would say it's probably going to go to Jacksonville. Another game that happened in Week 2 was Carolina and the Falcons, which ended up being a pretty close game. How do we see Carolina's passing attack changing with Greg Olson out at least four to five weeks? Um, I, I think you noticed it in this game. Um, you know, as someone who has Funches and, and McCaffrey on a couple different fantasy teams, I mean, you saw the productivity for both of those guys, um, you know, jump up. Uh, Funches went from five targets in week one to nine targets in that game, and McCaffrey jumped from nine targets in week one to 15 um, in week two. So I think moving forward with, with no Greg Olson, um, you know, it's going to heavily rely on those two. And, and you know, those two really need to, you know, take advantage of that and, and kind of produce for them. Uh, I mean, they lost a close game in Atlanta, and, and they're going to need those guys to kind of step up and carry the, the, the offense there because, you know, Cam can't do everything by himself. So, they're going to need those guys to produce. And with Greg Olson, you never know. I mean, he had this issue last year where it starts out as four weeks. But, you know, that's that's a foot injury. It's the same injury as last year. So when someone like that who's got to run, plant, cut, all that stuff, you know, that, that always worries you. And it, it could be extended for longer. I'm going to step in and quickly just state two words. And it's DJ Moore. He stepped up in a big way in that game. 
He he sort of kept them in the game with his uh, big touchdown. Uh, I texted Terrell the second that I saw his, I believe it may have been close to a 40-yard touchdown, and just simply said, DJ Moore is so fast. It's sort of that longest yard effect. He makes fast people look not so fast. Um, so Terrell, t- tell me how you're feeling about Carolina's passing attack. Not too great, to be honest. Um, North Turner is their offensive coordinator, and I think that's going to speak volumes. Um, no one's had success under Norv in the past few years, and he's bounced around the NFL. I think uh, Cam's going to, you know, he's going to spread the ball around a little bit more. Greg was definitely a safety valve, the guy that he trusted, the guy who could, you know, find those windows in the zone and sit and be there and be reliable to catch the ball. Um, I don't think it's going to affect his downfield passing numbers too much. Greg wasn't a guy to, you know, run down the seam too much any longer, but Cam's going to distribute the ball a little more evenly and uh, hopefully work it to these young guys and get them involved so they don't have to repay Greg. Without me having it directly in front of me, do either of you happen to know the status of Curtis Samuel, the rookie they drafted last year? Still disappointing. I know that that's that's pretty much the status. <laughs> the general the general statistic for him. Yeah. I, I'm not sure that he is healthy enough to be playing. Uh, that's somebody that I would like to see uh, moving forward if he is healthy. Uh, sort of just a follow up because we were talking about the Carolina Atlanta game. Are we at all impressed with? The, Atlanta, the win by Atlanta with all of the de- defensive injuries that they currently have? I'm not overly impressed, to be honest, because Atlanta doesn't really impress me. Um, this divisional opponent, they know what these guys are going to do. Um, and once again, you know, they're, they're playing against the, uh, the offense coordinated by the wet one, Young Sark. So who knows if he's still on the wagon or not. Um, they did produce a lot better in the red zone this go-around. There's no argument there. But, um, you know, every dog has his day. Yeah, I think those holes are eventually show over time. I mean, you can't have Keanu Neal and Deion Jones both out and still play good defense. I mean, those two are clearly probably the their best two players on defense. So, you know, maybe it didn't show up in this game, but, you know, soon enough, you know, those holes are going to show, and they're going to be exploited at some point. One of the interns just handed me a piece of paper, and he had said that uh, Curtis Samuel had a minor procedure to fix uh, a heartbeat irregularity. Huh. So I uh, kind of feel bad about making fun of him. Not his fault. So, uh, you know, plus one negative karma points for young Terrell here. That's normally the category that he's in. Myself, I am not impressed with the win against Carolina. I stated the only way Carolina would win is if the uh, untouchable Cam Newton would have showed up. And, and he played okay, but he was, not, he was not the man that I expected to see on that day. So a win by Atlanta in that scenario doesn't necessarily impress me. Had Cam showed up and they still managed to beat him, uh, I would have loved that win for Atlanta. But their defensive uh, injuries definitely worry me. Uh, Side note, apparently Cam Newton is concussion-proof. The shot that he took from the Atlanta safety was unreal on that slide. Yet again, um, it happened twice last year where Cam takes extremely dirty shots. Doesn't even go into the tent. For what, and the NFL seems to have no issue with it. And Cam looked fine, henceforth, to me. 
But he got better as the game went he along. He got better actually. as the game went on. Um, I don't know if he plays better woozy or what, but <laughs> apparently Cam and Luke Keekley need to trade heads. <laughs> or, or Cam needs to spread some of that love to Matt Stafford after uh, last week and him looking absolutely terrible against the Jets. Moving on, uh, this is a hot take in my opinion. Everybody is loving Fitz Magic right now, so the question has to be asked. Does Jameis get the job back after his suspension? I, I I just don't see a way that they can do that. I think you know they're they're two and zero now. Um, Fitzmagic, I think I saw a thing that he's on pace for like over six thousand passing yards, <laughs> sixty five passing touchdowns, like twelve rushing touchdowns. So so I can only imagine what Mahomes is projected yeah, to do. Clearly. Uh, uh, fantasy uh, QB one and two with those two guys, but I mean, obviously he's not going to be able to maintain this. But that being said, they're two and zero. If they win Monday night against the Steelers, who's you know who knows what's going on with them? AB's not showing up. The defense is horrendous. So if they're three and zero and Jameis comes back, I just don't see that you can sit this guy. I think that. You know, Deshaun Jackson and a lot of the veterans are having, they're actually having fun with Fitz. You know, they're winning, they're putting up points, they're they're just dominating these defenses over the two weeks. So, are they a good team? You know, I'm not sure yet, you never know, but I just don't see any way where you can sit this guy after what he's done so far. Yeah, I think the only way that you're going to, you would sit uh, Fitzpatrick moving forward would be a disaster on Monday night. I don't, I don't see it happening. Um, I think the only way it's going to happen is if he throws more picks and touchdowns, and that's it's got to be it. He's got to throw at least three or four picks. These guys are producing. Deshaun Jackson did not produce last year. He is making the most of their dollars. The Bucks do not want to pay Jameis Winston moving forward. Obviously, he's not proven he can be trustworthy, and he's not proven that he can take care of the football. The, it doesn't seem like the team responds to him, to be honest. I mean, we've all seen his obscure pregame hype speeches where he's licking his fingers. <laughs> I don't know if he thought they were crab legs, stolen or not. But I don't see Jameis starting. I don't think they want James to start. I think the whole team and the uh, the populace as a whole is rooting for the career renaissance of Fitzmagic moving Fitzmagic. forward. <laughs> First and foremost, Terrell did go there with the crab legs, and I personally appreciate that, so thank you for that one, buddy. <laughs> My personal feelings about Jameis is he's still very young and immature. Uh, he he needs to go somewhere that has uh, Gruden would potentially be his greatest coach because he would put him in his place. I can't make any guarantees about that, but he seems like a lost cause currently. If you watched any of Hard Knocks last year with the Buccaneers, Jameis Winston had the hardest time finding Deshaun Jackson. And Ryan's, Ryan Fitzpatrick currently can't miss the man. He connected with him for a 75-yard touchdown on the first play of yeah, the game. Back, back week. I don't know how two you weeks, can't find him. He's two, 40 yards down the field, wide open. Every two time. weeks in a row. When Deshaun Jackson is healthy, there are few corners in the NFL he can't beat. So if you can design plays to get him the ball, and if Fitzmagic is the one that can deliver it, He's got to be the one that starts, especially when you have players on the team coming out and saying you have to stick with the hot hand, simply trying not to offend Jameis. 
So it'll be it'll be interesting to see as long as Fitzmagic can put up a good game against the Steelers defense, which just gave up what should have been seven touchdowns to Mahomes. Uh, I think Fitzmagic managed to cement himself as a starter moving forward unless he has some sort of catastrophe. Still referring to quarterbacks, and I promised you guys I wouldn't do this again, but as I said, I, I love them all. One that is coming back this week that we have to wait no longer for is Carson Wentz. And how quickly do you guys think that he can get the Eagles back to at least somewhat of a Super Bowl contention form? As long as he's healthy, I think it can be immediately. He was he was the leader for the MVP last year. As long as that knee is right, which I think it is, they have no reason to rush him. They haven't, you know, I think that he can he can make plays that Nick Foles can't. Obviously, he can move the pocket, he can get outside the pocket, and he can make plays that very few other quarterbacks in the league can make. As long as he can spread the ball around, they still have plenty of weapons. I think they're going to be right on track the moment he gets back. It's going to be a big lift for the team. Yeah, I think, you know, to go along with that, I mean, the guy is, he's special. Um, I, I think I think he could have absolutely played week one. I think they were, obviously, they had the benefit of having uh, Nick Foles there. Big Dick Nick, baby. Big Dick Nick. <laughs> they had that there. So, you know, there's no point to rush this guy back. But, um, yeah, I totally agree. I think, you know, he's going to come right in. And, obviously, there, there could be a little rust. You know, could maybe a little, you know, hesitancy if he goes to scramble with that knee brace. But, no, I think, you know, he'll come back in. He'll go right back to, you know, his MVP self. Um, you know, he got he got married in UK. This Oh, sorry, that was, that was Prince Harry. Uh, they've never been confirmed that they're not the same person. But, um, no, I, I think the guy's going to be a stud again this year just like he was last year. Carson, just as a side note, I hope you actually did marry Prince Henry's, Prince Harry's. Meghan Markle. Meghan Markle. There we go. Meghan Markle. I hope that's who you ended up with. Gorgeous. Stay away from her dad. (laughs) Trailer trash. (laughs) Just an expansion on Carson Wentz. The thing that I look forward to seeing the most is whether he can be as effective on third down as he was last year because the numbers that he put up were truly impressive. Um, when you can't get a team off the field on third down, it really affects your psyche. Uh, the morale quickly goes down. It it constantly ends up being a dagger to your defense, and that makes a real impact. Uh, I will say, low-key, uh, Big Dick Nick did have a great game last week. Um, he threw for well over 300 yards uh, for over a 10-yard average per completion. So it, it ended up being an okay game for him, but I am very excited to see what Carson Wentz can manage to uh, do for the Eagles as far as getting them back into contention. I feel it would be inappropriate to have a podcast this week uh, without discussing uh, Mr. Patrick Mahomes simply because of the start he has had. Um, He has now thrown 10 touchdowns in just the first two games, which puts him in a very elite company considering he just set the record. So just quickly, and I don't even need an expansion, just your over-under. 38 touchdowns for Mahomes this year, over-under. I'm going to say over because there's 14 games left in the season, so he's only going to average two touchdowns a game to hit that mark from where he's at now. So two touchdowns a game for the rest of the season, 
I'm going to go over. Yeah, I agree with you on that. He's on track to throw 80. I'll, gi- I'll, I'll, I'll give him over 38. Like I said, I, I figured I'd keep that one quick since we keep on talking about the quarterbacks. It is the most important position in the game, though. What will it take for the Texans to get rolling after an 0-2 start? Because they do not look good. The defense has to show up. I, I think everybody loves J.J. Watt so much and uh, kind of resembles the Aaron Rodgers situation. It's a, uh, it's a constant slurp fest with old J.J. The guy hasn't produced anything in almost three years now. No sacks through two weeks. Not a lot of pressures. Hasn't graded out well on pro football focus. The rest of the defense hasn't performed. Jadavion Clowney, haven't really heard from him either. These guys, I know they're tired. The offense isn't producing. So I think, it, I think it's a big part of the defense. And you know, Bill O'Brien has yet to prove that he's a, an adequate uh, NFL head coach. And if they've got a litany of issues. I can say that I was mistaken when it came to them. I was high on them at the beginning of the year. But that offensive line isn't getting any better. And they look pretty rough right now. Yeah, I mean, they to, with the O-line issues, I mean, they got rid of Dwayne Brown last year. So... Um, obviously, he was kind of their cornerstone for a long time, so now the O-line's not quite as good as it used to be. But, I mean, I look at last year, I mean, with Deshaun Watson, kind of had a, a slow start, um, you know, rough rough start to when he was um, went in and started. Um, so I think it's just, I think they'll pick it up. I mean, I think they're too talented with too many weapons on offense and too many big names on defense um, to where... They won't be able to get it going, but you know I, I don't know if they'll be able to to get back to the playoffs like they did last year. I mean, it's it's definitely early in the season, but uh, they just flat out haven't really looked that good yet so far. My biggest worry for the Texans is their offensive line. Deshaun Watson is back there running for his life. Uh, when they traded Dwayne Brown to the Seahawks last year, that had a very big impact on their season and will continue to have a big impact on their season this year. Um, Just sort of looking over pro football focuses, numbers, no one on the Texans' defense has graded out all that well, so they definitely do need to step up when you have names like they do with Whitney Merciless, uh, J.J. Watt, um, the the young linebacker Cunningham from Vanderbilt, um, Bernardrick McKinney, who I am a big fan of, obviously the Honey Badger, none of which have graded over 80 besides 84.5 from J.J. Watt on Pro Football Focus. So they are not in a good position currently with their defense and definitely need to improve. Moving on to a team that is having some success, um, how do we feel about the 2-0 start from the Dolphins, and are they the biggest surprise? Again, shout-out field. No, I don't think they're the biggest surprise. Um, they've performed well the last two weeks, there's no question, but I mean, going back to who we just talked about, the Bucks are certainly the biggest surprise. They've knocked off two Super Bowl contenders in the first two weeks, while the Dolphins have beat the Titans in a really strange rain-lightning rain, delay game. Um, the longest game in football history, And then actually. they beat the Jets. They took it, they, they beat a 21-year-old quarterback, the youngest rookie starting quarterback ever in the history of the NFL. So... 
I don't see them as the biggest surprise. It certainly surprised her 2-0. They were one of the people talked about as being a, uh, a number one pick favorite at the beginning of the year. But they've had some people step up. They've certainly had a culture change. Adam Gase has gotten rid of some of the loudmouth guys whose maybe their pay exceeded their production. Speaking of Sue and Pouncey and Jarvis Landry, who I'm not a fan of paying him what, they wanted, what he wanted to be paid. Um, and Minka Fitzpatrick has stepped up for the Dolphins, though, I will say. Um, he's playing really well. Highest graded rookie corner off PFF so far. Yeah, I mean, you know, just I, I agree. I think obviously the biggest surprise is the Bucks. Um, you know, with, with Fitz Magic having to step in, I never would have thought they'd be 2-0 um, against the two teams they've played. But, um, yeah, with the Dolphins, I mean, obviously, they, you know, the two teams they've beaten aren't top-notch teams. Um, clearly, they're one of their new strength conditioning coaches have come in um, and really changed them and, and helped them out. Big uh, impact, big, big impact. impact by field there. Um, but you know, I'm I'm never going to be sold on Tannehill. I, I just don't. I've I've never seen it. Uh, I I just don't ever see him. You know, winning you. You know, he's led them to the playoffs before, but I don't see him winning a playoff game. I don't see him being that guy that can put the team on his back, you know, carry an offense. But I think they've had had some guys step up. Um, you know, Kenny Stills has performed really well, was kind of a under-the-radar fantasy receiver last year, and he's kind of carrying that on this year. Um, you know, Kenyon Drake is carrying on where he was last year, you know, really stepping up for that offense once they got rid of Ajayi. Um, so, you know, I... I if they can carry this on, I'm not really sure, but you know, I, I think I'm definitely surprised by what the Dolphins and Bucks have been able to do so far. Simply off of looking at the Pro Football Focus uh, grades for their offense, you would be very surprised to know that they are two and zero. The old smoker Laramie Tunzel is one of the highest ranked players that they have. Um, I was anticipating a bigger impact potentially from Mike Jacecki. I'm a big fan of his. I believe he may have actually even left the game for a short period of time on Sunday. I can't make any guarantees, but I, I do believe I saw that. Dennis did talk about Kenny Stills, who I unfortunately played in the first week of fantasy football when he scored two touchdowns. Um, so he's obviously having a good start to the year. Frank Gore, the, the ageless wonder. How, how, much can you, how much can you really say about that guy? Um, as Dennis said, Kenyon Drake has impressed. He can do it uh, running and catching. Their defense is, uh, yeah, I, to me, they are actually a bigger surprise at 2-0 than the Buccaneers simply because of how bad they are on paper. Moving on, the last question for the recap. Can teams like the Rams... Falcons, Green Bay, Minnesota, etc. Keep up with the Chiefs on offense. And if you would like to expand on it, uh, just because we have talked about LeBron a little bit, is the NFC becoming the Western Conference of the NFL? I think the group of the most talented and um, you know top to bottom teams, you definitely have to look at the NFC. Um, you know, clearly have the, the reigning Super Bowl champs and the Eagles. And then just like you mentioned, you know, you got Falcons, you got Rams, Vikings, Packers, you know, who knows with the Saints, you know, I thought they'd be better. They could be, but, um, 
I think if you had to pick two teams who, you know, have, you know, just as much firepower and has looked as good as the Chiefs, is, is definitely the um, the Rams and the Vikings. Um, I, I think the Rams are the, the real deal this year. I mean, obviously, they, they added Sue, they added Marcus Peters, they finally paid Aaron Donald, locked him up. Um, clearly, they have, you know, Gurley and all those weapons on the offense, so... I think they can just they can dominate you on defense. I mean, they've given up one touchdown through two games, and the only touchdown was Marshawn Lynch carrying ten guys on his back for ten yards. <laughs> so other than that touchdown, which I think was in the first quarter of that first game, first drive, first drive. Correct. So other than that, they haven't given up a touchdown. I mean, that defense is impressive. Granted, they just played the Cardinals, who may be the second worst team in the entire league, and need to put Rosen in. Because Bradford should just never play football ever again. He's a catastrophe. But I think, you know, you look at those Rams and offensive side of the ball, they can put up 30 to 40 points a game. Defense side of the ball, they can hold teams to below 20 a game. I think there isn't a single position on their team that they're lacking. I think the O-line's stud. Running back, receivers, quarterback, Every position on defense, I just don't see them having a flaw, and I see them being the you know the cream of the crop right now. Yeah, I don't disagree. Um, the Chiefs' defense sucks. Uh, to to yeah. you know not sugarcoat it, I don't think it's going to be as much of a symptom as of you know people keeping up with their offense. Is 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 their defense going to be able to get a stop? Because to me, I mean, if we're speaking specifically about the teams that Andy mentioned and brought along initially. The Rams are, are who we're really going to compare the Chiefs to. And their offenses, to me, are comparable. And the Rams have a superior defense by far. I think, you know, when it gets cold, the Chiefs' offense is going to slow down a little bit. These guys aren't going to – they're not going to be playing in the dome that much. And then if we're going to talk about, you know, if the uh, NFC has kind of become like the Western Conference of the NBA, I think the way to measure that is going to be how many Super Bowl – how many actual Super Bowl contenders does each conference have? And that's, the, that's how we're going to, you know, really think about the co- conference dominance. And there's no question, I think the NFC has more teams. I think it's, but to me, it's 5-4. to four. In the AFC, we're looking at realistic Super Bowl contenders. We've got New England, Jacksonville, Kansas City, and I will begrudgingly put Pittsburgh in there. I'm going to give you a representative from each division. So we're going to have four contenders in the AFC. I'd love to say Baltimore, but no. In the not, NFC, not after last week. Yeah, no, no. In the NFC, we're looking at realistic Super Bowl contenders. Philadelphia, Minnesota, New Orleans, and the Rams. Green Bay I'm going to throw in there, even though I, I kind of talked them down earlier. So it's 5-4 to four and maybe 6-4. to four. Atlanta just recently was in the Super Bowl. A lot of the same personnel, a lot of talent. Sark, you can stay off the sauce. Maybe you can get them together. So I don't think it's quite the disparity of the Western versus the East, Eastern Conference in the NBA. But um, a couple more years, a couple more teams, it could get close. But not, not this year. Sarkeesian, I genuinely think he's he's attempting to ask you out for a drink. So so we'll see if we can't get you guys connected so on that. I want drunk. I want his morals loose. <laughs> I agree with Terrell in the regard of the once he he puts it into numbers of the the six to four, five to four, whatever it may be. I, I think it, I think it shows uh, some similarity to. Um, the Western Conference, but that may be getting a little ahead of myself. When it comes to teams that could potentially keep up with the Chiefs, 
out of the ones that I named, uh, Minnesota and the Rams, I, I think, are the only teams that have the ability to keep up with them as far as putting a defense on the field that can stop them. The Chiefs, the play calling is is great. Uh, a friend of mine who is a large Chiefs fan, shout out Frodo, uh, he said to me, it's essentially just incredible the way that Mahomes is doing this, and I simply replied, when no defenders are in the picture when the receiver's catching the ball, it's kind of hard to fail. Which speaks to scheme over quarterback play. Which I am and was... Very much insinuating. I'm a Andy Reid guy. I think that that he has the ability to beat most defenses because of the amount of tape that he watches and the scheme that he does call. He keeps everything creative. Um, I do think the Rams and Minnesota could compete with them, but I'm not necessarily sure their defenses could stop them enough times to allow their offenses to score more than the Chiefs have the ability to do. Now moving on to the week three preview, which I know all of you are very much looking forward to. Across the board between Terrell, Ruby, and I, we weren't too, too great, but Terrell was the shining star out of the three of us. He was 9-7 and seven on the week. Ruby was 8-8, eight and eight, and I, unfortunately, was 6-10. and ten. As I said, we will go through every game and tell you our picks, but we will highlight and discuss just a specific five. Starting with the Thursday 8-20 game, the 1-1 Jets against the 0-1-1 Cleveland Browns. Dennis, go ahead and tell me who you got in that one. I think the Brownies get it done. I think they're playing at home and they get the win. I agree. It's time. They're getting that W. It's at home. It's prime time. Jets, not that good. I will also be taking Cleveland. I'm a Tyrod guy, and even if he doesn't get in, I think Baker gets him the win. So it's uh, all brownies. Uh, the first 1 o'clock game that we will, and we will actually expand on this one, this is the Saints at 1-1 one one, playing in Atlanta, who is also 1-1. One and, one. and, Dennis, you can start that one. Uh, I'll take the Falcons here. Um Normally, you know, when it's a toss-up like this, uh, I tend to side with the home team. But seeing the Saints so far this year, you know, I, I can't really figure out what's up with them. You know, they were kind of a Super Bowl favorite coming in this year, and they have really haven't looked very good. I mean, they almost lost to the Browns at home. Um, so I just don't know what to think of them. Uh, so I'm going to take Atlanta. I'm going to go to New Orleans in this one. I think they're finally getting it together. Um, that it? They're finally pulling it together. I'll say it again. Twice. Parenthesis. Camara getting his touches. They're looking better. Atlanta, not too high on them this year. Once again, we'll talk about Sark. We'll talk about my relationship with him. It runs deep. But uh, this week, I'm not trusting him. New Orleans, easily. I can't guarantee that repetition is actually going to change the outcome of that game, my friend. Uh, Falcons at home, it, it's a tough place to play. The Saints did not look good against the Browns. That genuinely should have been the first Browns win of the year. I am going to take Atlanta at home in a very close game. Drew Brees is just the man, and, and it's going to be tough for them to, to outduel him. Counterpoint, though, when it comes to these Browns, I think their defense is legit. I think those guys can really play. 
Greg Williams has that unit playing at a high level. They have too many high draft picks, too many hyper athletes on that defense to to give up a ton of points. And New Orleans did not let that putrid offense led by your boy, Tyrod, score hardly any points. I think that the uh, the long touchdown pass at the end of the game was an aberration. So, I, to me, counterpoint, I don't think New Orleans has looked as bad as everybody thinks. Brownie's playing for that bounty money. Yeah, they need it, though. <laughs> Miles Garrett getting a Lambo. Whatever motivation you need, baby. Moving on to the next 1 o'clock game, the Packers at 1-0-1, playing in Washington against the Redskins, who are 1-1. I'll take the Packers. Um, I think they're just clearly the better team here. Uh, Redskins, I don't think that offense is that great. I'll take Green Bay. Yeah, I'm going to take Green Bay as well. 30,000 empty seats in D.C. last weekend. It could be 35 moving forward. Yeah, Dan Green Snyder. Bay, Green Bay, easily. Dance, yeah, worst owner in the league. Terrible venue. Nine points in the game against the Colts should speak everything that needs to be said. Green Bay by a ton. Moving on to the next one o'clock game. This is one we will thoroughly discuss. The Indianapolis Colts, one and one, who have been somewhat of a surprise, and the Philadelphia Eagles with the return. Of Carson Wentz in Philadelphia, also at one and one. I think the Colts, you know, like you said, they they have been a little surprised. I think luck looks good. I think the offense has been playing well. I think they're going to be a good team this year. But I think Wentz coming back, Eagles playing at home, that crowd's going to be rocking. They're going to be throwing beer bottles at the other players. You know, Wentz is going to energize that team. He's going to obviously play better than Foles. Uh, so I think they're going to get it done at home. They did throw things at Santa. Yeah, I uh, I, I agree. Philly at home, and I, I I don't think Indianapolis is going to be a good team this year. I think they've got 11 NFL players on that team and a bunch of other guys who should be on practice squads or playing in the CFL. The, um, that white trash crowd is going to be whipped up into a, into a fervor in Philly with the return of Wentz. Um, Philly, easily. Don't don't take that personally. He he's not talking about you you yourself. Okay. It's, like a, it's not like so much what like southern white trash is like a Guido trash element that uh, they're loud, they're okay. abrasive. Okay. They're really. Now now he's starting to sound like he's talking about you a little bit more. Plit. Myself, I'm going to take the Eagles at home. I think Carson Wentz will potentially show up in. Almost mid-season form. As Dennis said earlier, I'm not necessarily sure he couldn't have started week one and they weren't just taking a slow approach for him. So I will also take Philadelphia. The other reason I will expand on that is because their defense will most likely give the Colts the Colts offensive line outside of Quentin Nelson real problems. Moving on to a dull one o'clock game. Bills 0-2 in Minnesota against the Vikings, 1-0-1. Oh, uh, Vikings by 50. Yeah, Vikings. No question. Skull. <laughs> Skull. You all know who I'm choosing. The, the Bills are, are a dumpster fire. Following that 1 o'clock game, the Raiders at 0-2 in Miami for the 2-0 Dolphins. Uh, I'll go Dolphins here. Um, I, don't think the, I, just, I don't think the Raiders are very good, so I'm going to go Dolphins at home. Yeah, I think it's a regression to the mean 
for the Dolphins, and uh, same concept for the Raiders, the aggression to the mean, seeing as they're 0-2. I'm taking Oakland in this one pretty easily. I am going to take the Miami Dolphins, the trip from the West Coast to the East Coast, and the time difference uh, may have a little bit of an impact on the game. I'm going to go with the Dolphins. Moving on to our hometown boys at a 1 o'clock. The Denver Broncos at 2-0 and in Baltimore against the Ravens. I'll take the Ravens. Always play lights out at home. Uh, I think they bounce back. Got uh, you know, a little bit longer to plan for the game. I'll take the Ravens. I'm going to take the Ravens as well. Hopefully the defense shows up in the first quarter, first half that is. Um, I don't think there's anybody on the Broncos who can quite dominate our secondary like A.J. Green can. Ravens in a narrow margin. I already stated last week it is going to be few and far between that I do not pick the Ravens, especially when the team on the other side of the ball will not be as good as us, Baltimore. The next 1 o'clock game is the Cincinnati Bengals at 2-0 and against the Carolina Panthers at 1-1 and in Carolina. Um, I, I went with the Panthers on this one. Uh, I, I think Cam finds a way to get it done at home. I'm going Panthers as well. Um, Cam always plays well coming off a head injury. Panthers, by a narrow margin, since he always shits the bed. After playing well. On the long week, I am going to take Cincy in Carolina on the back of the red-headed rocket to A.J. Green for potentially another two touchdowns. The next 1 o'clock game is an awful one. The 0-2 New York Giants against the 0-2 Texans in Texas, in, in Houston. Uh, I think the Texans win this one. I think it'll be close, uh, probably low-scoring game, but uh, Giants offense just looks terrible. I think the Texans win this. Yeah, if there's ever a week for that Houston front to get going, this one against that future New York offensive line, I'm I'm taking the Texans in this one. I also am going to take the Texans. I think Deshaun Watson gets back on track and sort of shows us a little bit what we saw last year. Uh, Houston. The second to last 1 o'clock game is the Titans at 1-1 one one against the Jaguars at 2-0. and oh. I think everybody knows who everybody's going to choose. Yeah, Jaguars pretty easily. There's, there's no one on the Titans' offense that I think scares the Jags deep. No one at all. Um, I think Blaine Gabbert might be better than Mariota. Jacksonville. Hot easily, take. Easily. Hot take. Hot take. The hottest. Sislam. Uh, no, I don't need to say anymore. Jacksonville. The last 1 o'clock game, 49ers and Chiefs. This was an interesting one to me. Please go ahead and expand on this one, Dennis. I think it should be a good one. Uh, I think this would be a shootout. Um, you know, Playing in Kansas City, I, I picked the Chiefs. Um, I think it'll be a really good game. I mean, Jimmy G, most handsome guy in the NFL. I'd probably leave my girlfriend for him if I had the opportunity. But I think the Chiefs win in a shootout. I'm taking the Chiefs as well, especially because they're at home. Um, the overall talent level, even on defense for both teams, it, it, the, uh, it goes to Kansas City right now. San Francisco's a team on the rise, but I don't think they're quite at that level yet. 
Kansas City. I'm going to hate riding with, with the two of them uh, as we have so frequently today. I'm also going to be taking the Chiefs. I'm just not sure the 49ers have anyone on their defense that can stop the plethora of weapons that the Chiefs do have. I also think that they will game plan very well for the 49ers uh, in the fact that, in my personal opinion, they don't have a ton of offensive weapons. Uh, Jimmy G makes a lot of the guys around him better. So, again, I will also be taking the Chiefs. Yeah, strong jawline and Kyle Juszczyk aren't going to beat the Chiefs for you. (laughs) That's two handsome fellows, though. I will give them that. Yeah. For the 4 o'clock games on Sunday, this is another one we will expand on. The 1-1 one one Chargers in L.A., which is still essentially a home game against the Rams, who are 2-0 and at 4-0-5. Yeah, I mean, I, I cited the, the Rams' defense earlier. I mean, they're just, they're just all around better than everyone else in the league right now on defense. And I think this is one of those games where – you see Phillip Rivers put up, like, 260 yards, one touchdown, and three interceptions. I think it's going to be one of those games. I think they can keep up with them in the first half, but I think at the end of the day, the Rams will win. Yeah, I'm taking the Rams here as well. I think Phillip Rivers may be more focused on impregnating his wife. He stated the other day that he wants to have two more children to bring the grand total to ten. Ten oh children, all with the same lady. He needs it to get to at least 11 so he can field one side of the ball. Oh, gosh. Well, no, he needs 10 because he's always playing quarterback for that team. <laughs> <laughs> now, really, the GOAT, I the think, GOAT. The GOAT. I think Phil talks so much shit that he might not make it out of halftime. I think Aaron Donald and Dominican Sue are going to try to behead him the entire time. He's going to be mouthing off from the opening kickoff. But Rams easily. We did say the same thing about Sam Bradford, and he made it through the game, surprisingly. Although Josh Rosen probably should have gotten in. I'm torn between this one simply because it's just as much of a home game for the Chargers as it is for the Rams, regardless of how much L.A. doesn't really like the Chargers. Yeah, if they were to play at the L.A. Chargers soccer stadium, there would, it would still be a home game for the Rams. Uh, like I said, uh, it, it's tough for me. I, I'm liking the way that the Chargers' offense looks. I'm a Phillip Rivers guy. I think he'll show up. I'm going to go against the grain here, and I'm going to take the Chargers. Following that game is the Cowboys at 1-1 one one against the Seahawks in Seattle, who are 0-2. That is at 425. This was probably the toughest game of the week for me to pick. Uh, I went with the Seahawks solely because they're playing at home. Obviously, they always sell out. That's a hard stadium to play in. I think it's going to be an awful game, but I took Seattle. Yeah, I'm going to echo Dennis's sentiments in pretty much every regard. I, it, the game is going to suck. I mean, I think this 4 o'clock slate for red zone this afternoon, it's only three games, is going to be pretty poor. Not going to be fun TV to watch. But Seattle in this one, in an absolutely future display by both teams, I think their pass rush will finally get going here at home with the uh, the 12th man backing them up. Hands down, uh, Seattle. The Cowboys just do not appeal to me. Uh, I'm going 
Going with old Danger Russ. The last of the 4 o'clock games, the 1-1 one one Chicago Bears in Arizona against the awful Cardinals. I went Bears. Um, there's no way the Cardinals can win this game unless David Johnson has like 300 rushing yards and four touchdowns. So, Bears. I really want to pick Arizona, guys. But I just can't. I really can't. The Bears. The Bears. They've decided not to throw the ball to David Johnson in the first two games of the year. And unless they try to, they're not going to win any games. Larry Fitzgerald has a bum hamstring. As much as I want to pick Arizona at home to get one in the win column, I can. Chicago. The guy headed towards Defensive Player of the Year after just two weeks, Khalil Mack. Uh, so can can I pick him or do I have to pick Chicago? Okay, I'll go with Chicago. The Sunday evening game is the Patriots against their former defensive coordinator in the Detroit Lions, who are also a pretty bad team so far. I think the Patriots win an easy one. Uh, I think if you look at the stats of Belichick versus his his former assistants as head coach, it's it's pretty astounding. So... I think the Patriots kind of roll on there and, and win an easy one in, in Detroit. Yeah, I agree. I think Bill is going has built a psychological profile on Matt Patricia over the past couple of years, and I can picture Matt Patricia at halftime with his head in his hands, crying, rocking back and forth. Patriots, easily. I'm going to keep it simple again. They got the GOAT, Brady. New England, by a ton. Last but not least, Monday evening at 8.15, a game I would like to expand on just because it seems interesting to me. Pittsburgh Steelers at 0-1-1 against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at 2-0 in Tampa at 8.15. I think it's going to be a hell of a game. Uh, I think it's going to be a really good one to watch, but... Even with all the turmoil that's going on with the Steelers, with you know no Le'Veon showing up, AB just skipping yesterday, whatever reason he's got, you know whatever turmoil they have in the locker room. They did say it was personal reasons. Yeah, whatever. He's touching uh, up that bad hair. <laughs> I I just think that there's way too many winners and way too much positive leadership on the Steelers for them to start the year. Uh, Oh, two and one. So, as much as I wanted to ride the Fitz Magic train, I think the Steelers won a close game on Monday night. I'm going Pittsburgh as well. I think it's going to be somewhere along the lines of forty-two to thirty-eight. I think it's going to be a shootout. I th- I I don't doubt that Fitzpatrick is going to play really really well. Their defense looks like doo Their defensive coordinator is extremely predictable. But echoing Dennis, their pedigree is too good them to lose this type of game. Ben's going to will them to victory, fat face and all. <laughs> he really does have a fat face. For any of you that have <laughs> never really seen him, look that MFR up. Superior he, athlete. Superior athlete. <laughs> superior athlete. Fat face, though. I'm also, unfortunately, going to go with the Steelers. I just find it very hard to believe that they start the season 0-2-1. Antonio Brown, regardless of how angry he is, is potentially the best receiver in the NFL, if not the best receiver in the NFL. 
that's just hard to stop. Tampa Bay is uh, on cloud nine right now, and the Steelers might be able to knock them a peg or two down, but probably not that much since they'll give up maybe 40. Pittsburgh might just put up 45. So I'm going to take Pittsburgh in Tampa Bay. To sort of wrap things up for the evening, we will finish with the Sunday superlatives. Go on to my Instagram, 2G1C Podcast, and check out, like I said, the home of the Sunday superlatives. I will regularly be posting things, videos, pictures, uh, to sort of celebrate these individuals um, on the following day. We will start with, uh, last week we did Best Hit. We are actually going to expand it, expand it simply to best defensive play. Uh, as I've been watching some film, it's very hard to get defensive highlights. So something I would like to push strongly upon is, uh, you know, sort of, sort of showing some love to the, the great defensive plays of, of the week. I will go ahead and start with two examples of my best defensive play. Uh, the first is the Sean Williams strip sack on Joe Flacco. It, it really was just an incredible play. Uh, sort of his ability to continue on on his path to Joe Flacco and be persistent enough to finally get there and then make the game that sealed the deal. It was, it was a very great play. Uh, the other one I have is Von Miller's sack on Derek Carr after absolutely destroying, I believe it was Donald Penn. He just looked like a man among boys, and that was just truly uh, something that should be celebrated. Uh, mine would definitely be the uh, the Adoy Jackson interception over DeAndre Hopkins in the end zone. Uh, he pretty much out-jumped and outplayed the ball over you know one of the top five receivers in the game right now. Premier. I'm thinking best defensive play. I'm going to uh, echo Mupp's sentiments as a sour Ravens fan. See the Bengals strip sack on uh, Flacco to steal the game. No other defensive play really ended the game quite like that one this week. We will move on to the best throws of the weekend. And my first example is the Russell Wilson touchdown to Tyler Lockett in the back right corner of the end zone. He literally put that ball where no one else was coming up with it. I'm not sure the corner ever even saw it until they were announcing that it was a touchdown. Just truly an incredible incredible ball by Russ. Another example, uh, Sort of an unconventional one following upon the Kenny Galladay hit of last week is the Kevin Byard throw to Crookshank for the 66-yard touchdown. I saw that on my ESPN Fantasy app and didn't actually believe that it happened until I saw the highlight. It was a great play, great time for it. Uh, really surprised the opponent ended up scoring a touchdown. My last but not least, uh, Terrell hated on it earlier. He just wants to see Baker step on the field. But Tyrod Taylor to Callaway in the back of the end zone to, to get them back into the game for a 47-yard touchdown, that was an absolute dime. I know he doesn't do it all the time, but he definitely mixes in uh, a shot or two. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. That was my pick for best throw was uh, it, Tyrod as uh, Brogan from Hard Knocks. You know, let Loser! Loser! 
Tarad to Antonio Callaway. Brogan's I mean, not a loser, by the way. Brogan is super cool. He's the man. Um, but no, I, that's my best throw. I mean, from where he where he released that ball and where Callaway caught it. I mean, that ball was it was over fifty yards in the air. Callaway never had to break stride. Dropped right into his hands, and that was fourth down. With less than a minute to go, them down six. And he took that shot and nailed the throw. Yeah, I'm just mad about that because I feel like Tyrod played, you know, a pretty below average game beforehand, and that single throw is going to keep him on the field for two or three more weeks, putting a definite ceiling on the Browns. My favorite throw, and, you know, this is going to be kind of how I pick these plays all the time, is when the game's on the line. That's when things matter the most. And it was Kirk Cousins, Captain Kirk, Kirky F. Baby, to Adam Thielen at the near pylon at the end of the game to, to tie it with Green Bay. I mean, it took some stones to attempt to squeeze that ball in there because he is either the hero or the zero. That is either a pick or a touchdown. There's no in-between, and he laid it all out there at the end of the game to you know even them up with Minnesota. So Kirk to Thielen, my throw of the week. Do you like that? Ooh. Moving on to best catch, I I don't think we even really need to have this conversation, but we will throw some examples out there. Keelan Cole's catch down the left sideline and the ease at which he did it was one of the more impressive things that I've ever seen in football. I actually also called out the touchdown that Terrell was just talking about, but from Adam Thielen's side, the ability to concentrate for as long as he did to make sure he pulled that in was just truly impressive. I'm a big Adam Thielen fan. I have two other ones. The Mike Wild, the Mike Williams touchdown catch, who is a uh, surprise uh, for the year. Everybody is, has high expectations for him. Uh, that was just absolutely incredible, and it's really good to see uh, a young guy like him stepping up. Last but not least is the Patrick Peterson interception of Jared Goff. I mean, as I stated last week, I think he may be the best corner in the NFL, but it just goes untalked about because he plays for an awful team. Yeah, I mean, my my best catch was easily the Keenan Cole catch. I mean, the guy's, he's running full speed down the sideline, completely reaches back and just snags the ball out of midair one-handed and then continues to hold it one-handed and never loses it and, and, you know, completes the catch all the way through. So that was easily my best catch. I think my best catch, I'm going to go back to our, our talk about Tyrod and Callaway. Um, as someone who played wide receiver at a very low level, like a really low level. <laughs> Thank you. Like, Thank God, you. I was bad. Like I said, he's a long snapper. Yes. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Good at it, though. So, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's humbling was that experience. Um, Antonio Callaway's catch in the back of the end zone on that bomb from Tyrod. The hardest catches to make are the ones that everyone needs you to make, that everyone expects you to make. He was at a dead run, full speed, maintained concentration, got those feet down, didn't break stride, caught that ball. Antonio Callaway, another one, I hope, stays off the dope. The, the lack of room that Callaway had to work with do, does truly make that a very impressive play. Uh, moving on to the best overall play, whether it's one specific person uh, elevating to the next level or it's just uh, the, the combination of everyone putting it together for a positive impact. <clears throat> Watching the Monday night game, there was a play where Trubisky dropped back 
he ended up having to scramble uh, and, and really work his way around and then managed to find Tariq Cohen up the right sideline on a floater. I mean, it was a thing of beauty. He really does have some flashes where, where I am becoming a fan of him, and then he does some really, really stupid things as well. My other best overall play was the absolute inability for anyone to take Matt Breda down on his 67-yard touchdown run. That was truly impressive from the former rugby player. Yeah, my best overall play was obviously, you know, looks like it's piggybacking off of Terrell's best throw, but that was, you know, Kirk to Thielen for that touchdown at the end. I mean, that's, they're down by, I think they were down by eight at that point. You know, Correct. Trying to tie the game, less than a minute to go, and, as he releases that ball, he doesn't even step into it. He has a guy tackling him at his knees as he releases that ball from like the 25-yard line to Thielen, threads it in beautifully between two Packer defenders for the touchdown. They get to two-point, they tie the game to go into overtime. So that was my best play of the week. My overall favorite play of the week is going to be the Tennessee fake punt. Uh, speaking from my special team's expertise, the execution of such a play is extremely difficult, always easier in practice. These guys did it easily. You sure are special. Yes, thank you. Second, uh, we, have two, we have two more topics for you in our Sunday superlatives. Uh, the next one is just your, your hot take after, after week two, and, and you don't really need to expand on it. Just keep it simple. Keep the crowd guessing. My hot take is by the end of the year, the Chicago Bears offense will be very entertaining. My hot take is Saquon Barkley breaks the NFL record for catches by a running back for a season. That was scorching hot. That's a hot take. Hot take. Hot take. My hot take, I already blew mine in our game pick, so I'm going to go with number two. I'm going with this offseason, John Gruden, the de facto GM, who has neutered Reggie McKenzie due to that $100 million contract. John Gruden's going to find a way to get rid of Derek Carr. Derek Carr gets traded in this offseason. No one has ever been less happy with their quarterbacks than John Gruden. David... Derek Carr, he's going the way of David, if you know my prediction has anything to do with it. Derek Carr will not throw the ball down the field. Lowest yards per attempt the last two years in the NFL. Gruden's having none of it. He's already had pointed comments in his post-game press conferences two weeks in a row. Derek Carr, out of, out of Oakland, out of Vegas, new quarterback at the Khalil Mack contract, and the trade has anything to do with it. John's not going to spend an, inor- an inordinate amount of money on any one player. See ya. He really felt the need to expand on it, even though I told him he didn't need to. But I want to. Finally, last but not least, uh, everyone will provide you with the player most likely to succeed in week three in fantasy football. I went out on a limb here. I feel that the third wide receiver on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will have a lot of success. So my player most likely to succeed in week three is Chris Godwin. My fantasy player of the week is uh, Chris Hogan. Uh, I don't think Josh Gordon will play just quite yet for the Patriots. Edelman's still suspended. Uh, I don't think the Bucks can stop anyone. Um, so I think Chris Hogan you know, has a huge fantasy week. 
we're keeping the Fitz Magic train rolling. I'm rolling with Fitz Magic moving forward. Um, everything's on the line for this guy. Him and that beard and that tremendous Harvard education, they're going to get it done. Great chest hair. That was, that was some great chest hair. So much body. I appreciate everybody tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed the show. Please check out the Instagram, 2G1C Podcast. Leave any sort of comments you feel about the show and any of the pictures, your feelings. Uh, answer the questions that are under the pictures. And like I said, hope you enjoyed it. See you.